John chapter 20 is where we'll be this morning if you have your Bibles. When school in a different district or going to college or maybe starting a new job, moving to a new state or new part of town, one of the things that we often find ourselves trying to do is reinvent ourselves, kind of reimagine who we are, kind of who we want to be, and we kind of put on that persona because all those people at that new job or at that new school, they don't know who we are. They don't know any difference. And so I can go and be the person I've always wanted to be, and they'll just assume that I'm that person. And we all have done this, and we, we, we try to reinvent ourselves. In college, I remember trying to do this. I remember wanting to go in and be a little more confident, be a little more cool, you know, because, you know, who doesn't want to be cool? And going in there, and, and, and I remember the way I would do that was I'd go in with a goatee. <laughs> it didn't work. It was weird. I, I thought about putting a picture up, but it's too embarrassing. So I couldn't do it. I'm sorry, I couldn't do it. But, but, I, but I tried, and, and what happened to me is what happens to all of us all the time is that it doesn't last. It doesn't work. Eventually, you shine through. You shine through the facade, and everyone realizes who you actually are and not the person you have been pretending to be. The real you comes back through. And sometimes that can be frustrating. Sometimes that can be frustrating because we are not always satisfied with the person we are or the person that we've become to be. We all wish we could go back and change some things. And we all do that. Like everyone was in this room wish there's some things we could go back and, and if we could go back, we'd do it different. We wouldn't do this or that. If, if only I hadn't been texting and driving or fiddling with the radio that day. If only I had not put that hotel key card into that door and went in when she asked me to. If only I hadn't drank too much that night. If only I hadn't worked so much but had spent more time with my family. If only we didn't have that fight. If only I didn't say those things. The list can go on and on. And when you and I inevitably face that day, with the beeping of monitors and the rustling of cords and doctors and nurses scurrying around our bedside. When we inevitably face that day, that moment of death, when, as they say, your life flashes before your eyes, what will you see? Will you see a life filled with regrets? Will you see a life filled with should-haves and should-have-done-differently? Will you remember all the things that you had done and all the things you wish you had done? And in that moment, there is no going back. There is no doing it over. Only the feeling of sorrow of a wasted life. But what if I told you? What if I told you that there was another way? What if I told you that you did not have to be defined by the mistakes and regrets of your past? What if those regrets and mistakes could be set right? What if they could be reversed? What if you actually could be reinvented? A new you, a fresh start. What if you could be renewed? See, that is the story of Easter. That is the story of Easter. A story of resurrection, a story of reversal, a story 
of renewal and a story that actually happened. See, the resurrection is not a historical fact like all of the others. See, whether I do or don't believe that Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence doesn't change my life. Belief in the historicity of the resurrection can completely change your life forever. The story of Easter is a story resurrection and reversal, of undoing that which is broken, of speaking the spell backward and unwinding it. It is a story of turning graves into gardens. See, the reason this reversal is possible is because of what Jesus is actually doing on the cross. What Je- this whole uh, Jesus on the cross resurrection thing, what is he actually doing? Jesus is reversing the curse. Go back with me for a moment to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, in the Garden of Eden, where God had made everything, and it was right, and it was perfect. It was beautiful. There was harmony and peace, and everything was good. And the moment that Adam and Eve bite into this forbidden fruit and rebel against God, in this one moment, the whole world falls under a curse. You see, thorns in that moment began to grow up from the ground. Our bodies began to get old and sick and age, and they began to head toward death. In that moment, we are cut off and alienated and hostile with one another and before God, and we fight each other, we argue, and we even quickly kill one another over silly things. I don't have to explain to you or argue why this world is broken. You and I see every day the the brokenness in this world, that it's cursed. But we see in the story of Easter that God has not abandoned us with a curse. God didn't say, well, you made your bed so y'all can lie in it. Good luck. He doesn't do that. He doesn't leave us to figure it out for ourselves. He doesn't leave us hopeless. He comes to fix the world and to reverse this curse the only way possible. The only way to fix the brokenness and fix the curse in this world is for Jesus to take the brokenness and curse upon himself. To take the actual curse upon himself. And so the thorns that grew out of the ground, they placed him on his head. He took the anxiety and the fear that we all experience. He took the pain and the torture and the mocking and the humiliation. He took it all. He took the brokenness and the curse of this world upon his shoulders. And the curse does what it does. It ends in death. And so the Son of God came and took the curse and it killed him. And so for three days, the enemies of God laughed and cheered. For three days, they thought, what a fool that you can't defeat evil by letting evil defeat you. You can't win through losing. You can't have victory through defeat. And for three days, they thought that was true. And hope was sucked from the world as the curse of sin seemed to be unbeatable. And so Jesus laid in a borrowed tomb in grave clothes, the Son of God, a corpse, life driven from his body. And I don't know what happened first, but his heart begins to beat. Blood begins to flow His lungs fill with air and he sits up and he is alive. He was dead and he is alive again. He went to the other side. He took the curse with him. He left the curse there and he came back, defeating death, defeating the curse, defeating sin and the devil. 
See, the resurrection is a reversal. It is an undoing. It is a reversing of the curse and reversing death. It turns back the clock. It unravels. It untangles and reverses all that which is broken. And if death cannot keep Jesus down, nothing can. See, though we still have not seen it completed, the resurrection began a reversing and a renewing of everything in the world that one day we will see complete. There's a lot that can be said about the resurrection. We could talk about why the evidence points to the reality that this historical event happened. We could talk about the theological significance. But this morning, what I want to show you is why this resurrection matters for you today. Why Jesus coming back from the dead is not just a mere fact of history, but it matters for your life today. That this 2,000-year-old resurrection can bring renewed life to you. And I want to show you through the lens of the first person to ever see Jesus raised from the dead, a woman named Mary Magdalene. Read with me in John chapter 20, verse 11. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen. John chapter 20, verse 11 says, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. And do you remember what Adam and Eve immediately did after they disobeyed God? We're going to jump back and forth between Mary and Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve immediately after they disobeyed God, after they ate, they realized they were naked and they hid. They hid from God. They hid in the, in, the, in the bushes, in the garden. They hid so that he couldn't find them, which is kind of a silly notion, right? Because they can't really hide from someone who's everywhere. But they tried to hide from God. They, and when they realized that they can't do that, they come out from hiding, covering their nakedness with the only thing they could find, some fig leaves. Continuing to hide behind something. You see, this curse of sin had this immediate effect. It caused them to have shame. And it alienated them from their creator, from who was meant to be their best friend. And cut them off. And separated them from God and from one another. And this shame that they feel. They never felt it before, and so the only thing they knew to do was cover it up, to hide. Thousands of years later, nothing had changed. When Mary sees Jesus resurrected, and the disciples who had followed Jesus so closely, 
are hiding in a room somewhere full of fear and shame. Fear of what might happen to them now that their Lord had been killed and shame that they did not, were not there for him when he was executed. You and I do the same thing. I was talking to a guy, a guy just recently that I had, was talking to him about coming to church and inviting him to church, and he said, man, I'd love to go, but I think if I walked into a church, I'd bust into flames. His immediate response was one of, I have been hiding from God, and if I go in there, it ain't going to go well. He had been avoiding and hiding from God by avoiding going to church, as if God was like lived in this room somehow. You and I ignore God. We per- pretend he doesn't see our faults. We, we try to cover them up. We, we try maybe to cover them up by being a really good person, by being religious, by going to church. Sometimes we try to cover up those faults by being really busy. And we're just busy all the time. And if we don't slow down, we don't have to think about it. We don't have to worry about those faults and mistakes in our past. We don't have to deal with them. Sometimes we think if we just wallow in self-pity, if we just feel bad enough about it, then that counts, and it's like it goes away. But all, whatever we do, we are people who love to hide our guilt and hide our shame because we don't know what else to do with it. We've got this shame, and we don't know what, what to do with it. When I was in high school, I, I was in youth, and uh, I met this girl who uh, was like singing in a worship band, and she was cute, and I was a teenage boy, and that's all I needed. And so, um, you know, I started working my charm, which wasn't very much, and, you know, doing everything I could to try to get her to go on a date with me. And finally, I pulled, twisted her arm enough that it worked out. But no matter how hard I tried, she kept me at arm's length. No matter how much I tried to get to know her better, no matter how much I tried to kind of figure her out and have deep conversations and talk about serious things, she would never do it. She would keep me at a distance. And I began to notice that she kept everyone else at a distance as well. She would never, never really ever, ever get, let anybody get close. She was dodgy and cagey, and she, she would cancel on things all the time. She would, she would go AWOL, and texting was a thing. You know, y'all had so many text messages you could send. They were like five cents a piece at that time. Y'all, remember, y'all don't know anything about that. But, and so, but she would just stop texting. Eventually, I discovered the problem. The reason she was hiding and keeping everyone at a arm's length, that this 100-pound, 16-year-old girl was bulimic. And it caused great shame in her life. And she did not want anyone to know, and she couldn't stop, no matter how hard she tried. And so she hid it. And she kept everyone in her life at a distance so that no one would know the truth, and no one would know the shame she felt. She was hiding because she couldn't face this sin that enslaved her. You and I have different struggles. Well, our gut reaction to our brokenness, our sin, our mistakes is the same. Alienate everyone, push everyone away, push God away. Don't face the music, don't be truthful, hide it, squash it, put it away. And if we don't have to deal with it, we'll we'll survive. In the Garden of Eden, when God spoke their names, Adam and Eve, they were hiding from God. But here outside the tomb, Jesus speaks Mary's name. But unlike Adam and Eve, she doesn't hide. 
Instead, when, when Jesus speaks Mary's name, and she realizes that she's not talking to the gardener, but that she's talking to Jesus. In that moment, she doesn't hide. She rushes and runs and embraces him and hugs him and is threatening not to ever let him go. She is not hiding. Mary knows that Jesus is not someone who uh, makes you clean up your life before you come to him. Mary knows that Jesus is not the kind of Savior who looks down his nose in judgment and condemnation toward you until you get your act together. Mary knows that Jesus is not the kind of Savior who says clean up or don't come at all. She knows he's the kind of Savior you can run to no matter what, your, what shape your life is in. And notice what Jesus says to Mary next. He says, go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Jesus knows that his, his disciples, his brothers, are hiding out in a room somewhere, feeling the shame and anxiety and fear for what they have witnessed and done over the past couple of days. And he tells Mary, go tell my brothers, I'm alive and that my father is their father, and that they're my brothers. Go tell them so they can come out of hiding, that they don't need to do that, that I am here, and I am not upset and mad at them, but that I just died to forgive them. He wants them to come out of the shadows. He wants them to know it is safe, that Jesus can handle their fear. He can handle their shame. He can handle their guilt. You see, the resurrection of Jesus reverses the story of alienation and condemnation. It re the resurrection reverses the story of alienation and condemnation. You see, because the resurrection is like a receipt that nobody wants to get at the checkout counter. But if you go to Costco, you got to get the receipt because when you go to Costco, when you walk out, they won't let you walk out unless that guy pretends to look at that receipt, right, and then mark that line on it. But the resurrection is like a receipt because in Costco, they won't let you out until they know that you paid for the items in your cart. And the resurrection is a receipt saying something has been paid in full, and that something is your and my sin, past, present, and future, all covered, all paid for. The receipt is the resurrection. It is paid in full. So what that means for us is that we can come into the light. It means that we can stop hiding. It means that we do not have to live in shame. You do not have to live depressing, hiding. Some of you in this room have done things in your past that you don't want anyone to ever know of. And some of you in this room have had things done to you that you don't want anyone to know of. What I want you to hear this morning is that Jesus can handle it. You can walk into the light. He will embrace you and make you whole. He will not shame you more. He will not wag his finger at you. He will make you his child. The resurrection is this promise that our life can be reversed. We can live in this incredible truth that doesn't say, oh, just be you. 
The truth isn't just be you and, and no one will judge you for being you, but that everything is good, you're good, it's all good, that there's no right or wrong, you just do what makes you feel right. That is a scary reality. No, this truth that we can be a part of this morning is that our mistakes and our failures are actually mistakes and failures. They're actually really bad. But that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, our, God has removed our guilt and shame by placing that guilt and shame on Jesus who bore the price and the punishment for us in our place on the cross. You see, here's the truth. The truth isn't that you're just, you know, you're good or that, you know, it's not a big deal. You just be you. The truth is you are so sinful that Jesus had to die, but so loved that he was glad. That's the truth we can live in. And once you know that, once you understand this truth that you are so sinful you had to die, but so loved that he was glad to, it will set you free. It will set you free to come out of hiding in your shame, to be like Mary, to embrace Jesus and never let him go because you know he will never let you go. You see, Jesus reverses the curse by becoming the curse and he reverses alienation uh, uh, between us and God. And notice this next thing, he reverses the lies and deception of the evil one. Go back with me to the Garden of Eden. In the very beginning, that serpent, the devil, comes to Eve and he deceives her. He tells her, did God really say? He whispers in her ear, did God really say don't eat the fruit? Is that what he really said? He says, you won't die because God knows that if you eat it, you'll become like him. You see, God is holding out on you. God doesn't want the best for you. He doesn't want you to experience joy. He is holding out on you because he knows if you eat it, you'll have what he has. She hears his words and she begins to mull them over. She goes, maybe he's right. Maybe God didn't mean that. Maybe God is holding out on us. Maybe the serpent is right. He deceives her. She believes the lie. She eats the fruit and death and the curse enter the world. Fast forward, when Mary comes to this second garden, this tomb, she finds the stone rolled away, and the body is gone. And like Eve, she is deceived. Just as Eve was deceived by the serpent, so is Mary in a moment of deception. She's panicking because she's, she, she thinks that there has been a grave robbing. She thinks someone has come and stolen the body of Jesus, her Lord, and she doesn't know what to do. Her mind is racing. She's panicking. She's walking back and forth. What do I do? Someone has stolen him. And she, she, as she turns around, she runs into who she thinks is the gardener, which was a logical assumption because there was a garden outside the tomb. And this wasn't a garden like we see at graveyards today. This wasn't memorial gardens where the landscapers keep the grass all nice and perfect. No, this would have been a real garden where they grew grapes and fruits and vegetables. And so she thinks she has run into the gardener. She says, where have you taken him? Just tell me, I'm not mad, I'm not, I won't tell, turn to you, just tell me where you've taken him so that I can go get him. You see, she wanted to preserve his body a little longer. She had brought some spices and some perfumes with her so that she could uh, beat near the, the corpse of Jesus and put these smelly things on him so that she could be near him a while longer without the smell getting too bad. She doesn't realize that the reason Jesus is not laying in the tomb is because she's talking to him. She doesn't see it. 
She was stuck in a narrative and in a deception that the Lord was dead and she could not see the truth that was smacking her right in the face. It stood right before her eyes. She was deceived, but with one word. But with one word, Jesus reveals the truth and reverses the deception before her eyes. He speaks her name, Mary. And it's as if her eyes were opened. It's as if she could truly see for the first time and immediately she sees who, she, who he is and she runs to hold him. And in this moment, God reversed the deception Mary was facing and God wants to do the same thing in your life. You see, the devil still whispers. The serpent still whispers. The Bible calls him the accuser. And he still says to us, did God really say? Did God really say that he could forgive all your sins? You know, like we both know about that one. You know what I'm saying? We both know about that one. I mean, maybe these over here, but that one? Oh, did God really say he could do that? You see, no one else may know what you did, but God does and can't take it back now. He whispers, you know what, maybe you've been gone too long. Oh, this, he loves this one. Maybe, you know what, you grew up in church, but you ain't been back to church in 15 years. You go on Christmas and Easter, and you know what, it's just, it's just too embarrassing. or It's just too late. You can't come back now. Everybody look at you weird. And he whispers that lie. He whispers, you know, God can never really love you. I mean, he loves these other people who dress well and look good. You, I mean, you're a mess. You're you a hot mess. <laughs> I take that as an amen. And he whispers these things in our ear. And we believe them because the things he whispers are the things we are terrified are actually. So we are deceived. He whispers, if people really knew you, if they really knew the real you, nobody would love you. If you are truly known, you are truly seen, your thought life, your heart, nobody would love you, especially God. But those are lies and deceptions meant to keep you in hiding, to keep you trying to cover your own shame. See, the story of the resurrection is that God did, in fact, know everything about you. God knew before Jesus went to the cross everything you would ever do. And he knew every mistake, every sin, every bad thought, and yet he still loved you so much that he would pour out the punishment you deserved on his son who could bear all the weight of our sin. He took it to the grave and he could leave it there. You see, the devil would have you believe that you are so sinful that God couldn't love you. Or, he would have you, maybe trickier, he would have you believe that you're good enough to get by on your own. He would have you believe that you're so sinful that God couldn't love you or that you're so good or just good enough that you don't need him. But here's the truth. You are more sinful than you could ever imagine, <laughs> but more loved and accepted by God than you could ever dare See, the truth is not that you're too broken and beyond redemption, nor is the truth that you're such a good person who deserves heaven and deserves good things. Both are a lie. None of us are good enough. None of us are so bad we're beyond him. 
The truth is much better than that. The truth is, you and I are far worse than we imagine we are, but yet we're even more loved and more accepted by God than we could ever think possible. See, Jesus is reversing this lie that you could be good enough, and he is reversing this lie that you are too bad to come to him, that it's too late, that you're too far gone. The resurrection is reversing the deception of the evil one who is whispering in your ear even right now. See, the resurrection is proof that God took your punishment seriously, but that he was glad to take it. Jesus reverses the lies and deception of the evil one. And when the deception is gone, when you stop believing those whispers and lies, you can finally come out of hiding. Because you can finally come out, shame and all. Because what you will find is a God that fully knows you, knows you better than you know yourself, knows everything. You will find that you are fully known, but yet fully loved. And that can transform a life. The resurrection is this reminder of the links that God would go to save you. Now let me tell you why, what all of this means for you this morning by showing you what it meant for Mary. You see, remember, this is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was a member of the occult. Mary Magdalene was into some strange, weird things. Mary Magdalene was possessed and tormented by seven demons. Mary Magdalene, if she had walked into this room right now, everybody in this room, Christians and not, we'd be freaked out by her. We'd be like, that girl got a demon on her. Jesus came into Mary's life, removed these demonic spirits, removed her sin, removed her guilt, removed her shame, and restored her. And after his resurrection, Mary, this, this occultic, weird, demon-possessed, broken woman is the first person Jesus reveals himself to after he's raised from the dead. And she is the first person commissioned and who gets to go and proclaim to others that Jesus is actually alive. She has the honor and privilege to be the first to see him and the first to tell about him. See, Jesus came into Mary's life and completely turned it around took her from this occult, demonic, broken woman and made her into something beautiful. It gave her life, new life, abundant life. No longer was Mary defined by her past because Jesus reversed her story. He reversed the trajectory of her story. She was no longer defined by her mistakes. She was defined by who Jesus made her into, a daughter in the family of God. Not the redheaded step a full member in God's family. I want you to know this morning, you need to buy your past and your mistakes. You do not have to hide and shame. You do not have to hide your failures. You can bring them to Jesus and he will cast them as far as the east is from the west and embrace you as he called his disciples, his brothers. He'll embrace you as his child and as his friend. But the evil one is whispering to many of you right now, trying to deceive you. You don't need Jesus. You're not that bad of a person. You don't need Jesus. You're a good man. 
good husband. You don't need Jesus. You're a good wife, a good mom. You don't need Jesus. You're not like all those other people. You're just fine the way you are. Or he's telling you it's too late. He's telling you you'll never be good enough. Telling you you better get your act together first. You're too far gone. Do not believe the lies. You see, before Jesus went to the cross, he was in this garden called Gethsemane, and he was so afraid of what was about to happen, knowing the pain he was about to endure, sweating blood. The Bible tells us that the reason he was able to endure it, the reason he was able to like, oh, go through with it, is for the joy that was set before him. And the joy that was set before him was knowing that in enduring this pain, he would take yours away. That enduring this pain, he would make you into his family. That enduring the, the humiliation and the shame and the guilt, he could take yours away. That his pain would be your freedom. That his pain would mean your forgiveness. That his pain would make you his family, his brother, his sister. And this morning, he invites you to come. You see, it is no mistake that there was a garden outside the tomb where Jesus was raised from the dead. It is no mistake that Mary uh, thinks Jesus was the gardener. You see, the story of Easter starts in a garden some thousands of years ago where one action of eating fruit broke the world and led it to a grave. And from there, we see that the action of one man can reverse it. And we go from a garden to a grave and from a grave into a new garden. You see, God turns graves into gardens. He is taking the whole world and making it new. He is making a world where there will be no more wheelchairs. He is making a world where there will be no more cancer diagnosis. He is making a world where your knees don't give out and your hips don't give out. He's making a world where families do not break apart. He is making a world where every tribe, tongue, and nation flourish and thrive under one king forever. He is not making a world, taking us up to heaven just to escape this crazy, crappy place. He is making a world that is perfect as is always intended to be. He's making a new garden. And he is inviting you into that story to be a part of it. Right now, he is inviting some of you into this story of redemption, this story where you can stop hiding like Adam and Eve and be like Mary who embraces Jesus and you can be brought into this story of resurrection and reversal where all things are made new. He is inviting you into it and the question is, will you come? There are some of you in this room right now and you know you're hiding and your shame is too much and you don't feel like you can bring it out into the open. I hope this morning you'll see that Jesus fully knows you and fully loves you and is ready to embrace you, shame and all. That you can come out of the shadows. That he looks at you and he's not going to wag his finger, but he's going to lift your head and hold you and never let go. There are some of you in this room right now and you have been deceived by these lies been inoculated to the gospel. What I mean is that you've been around Jesus so much, you've been around church so much because it's American, you know, God bless American, we're just here. And you've been around it so much, you think you're close enough, but really you're miles away. You think that you're good enough. You've been deceived that you're religious enough. Maybe this morning 
God is speaking your name to open your eyes and help you to realize that you are way off being good enough, way off being religious enough. You can't climb the ladder to God, but he's got to come down and get you. If you are here this morning, Jesus is offering you a chance to be renewed, a chance to reverse the story and the trajectory of your life. He wants to make a masterpiece out of you. Maybe this morning in your heart of hearts, you hear him speaking your name, opening your eyes to see him as he really is. And if that's true, you hear him calling you this morning, I'm going to stand right back there. And there's going to be some other guys over there and some girls over here. And if you want us to pray with you, if you want us to tell you what it means to follow Jesus and how easy it is to do that, just come running back there. Because everyone else in this room is will cheer when they hear the news. Because you don't have to hide your shame. Because your shame was put in the ground and left there. Right. Father, we thank you so much this morning that we can come, that we can celebrate this, uh, this glorious resurrection from the dead and what that means for our lives. That we have a hope and a future that is secure, that our sin has been left in the ground and that new life came out and that new life is ours, that we can get rid of our shame and guilt, that we do not have to face our moment of death with regret of a life wasted. but that we can look over our life and see it redeemed, see it reversed, see it used for good. God, if there are people in this room this morning, and I know that there is, who do not know you. Maybe they're skeptics because they, they don't think the science adds up. Show them this morning that the science does add up. That the one who created the world can call life from death. Maybe there's someone this morning who are here and they believe they're good people. Lord, would you show them they're not, that you want them anyway. They're here this morning, people who feel such shame for things that they've done. And there are some people in this room, God, who feel such shame for the things that have been done to them by others. Father, would you release them from that shame and that burden? Release them from the things done to them and show them that you can make them whole again. We're going to sing this song, and I'm going to be in the back, and we're going to have some men and women on each side. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to be baptized, if you want to be prayed over, we would love to do that. As we sing, come and join us. Father, give us strength to follow you. Give us strength, confidence to go where you're leading us. In Christ's name we pray all those people sing. Let's stand and sing.